Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. From 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnest, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion for it, according to your means." For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Now reading from 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. This, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, 
because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks, Monique, and great to uh, be opening the word with you this morning from 2 Corinthians 8 and uh, 9. I want to talk about charity for a second. Charity uh, might seem like a straightforward idea, an obvious idea. If you hear about a natural disaster on the other side of the world, the right thing to do is to do something, to send money, to participate in charity. It's an obvious idea for us. Um, but actually, as um, uh, Ridley faculty member John Dixon writes in the excellent Bullies and Saints, I'm not being paid for that plug. I promise, although if you do want free tickets to the Undeceptions Conference, uh, there's an email in your inbox this morning. Um, charity is not an obvious idea. In fact, in the ancient world, particularly in the, the Greco-Roman uh, mind, poverty was actually sometimes seen as punishment. So poverty was seen as punishment, not something that you should relieve. In fact, uh, if you were to help out someone in poverty, you might be interfering in an act of justice of natural recompense. Maybe, maybe they'd done something terrible in a previous life. And so by you getting involved and trying to help them out, you're actually interfering in the natural rhythms of the world. The balancing. So charity is, is actually, it's not only a Christian idea, not only a Jewish idea, but it is a distinctive one. And it's one that we take for granted in our culture, largely because of passages like the one here today, 2 Corinthians 8 to 9. Because in contrast to that um, ancient idea that, well, if you have bad luck, it's probably something you did, right? that idea that the universe will balance out your bad deeds with poverty, uh, there's this crazy new idea in this passage. I wonder if you noticed how many times it was mentioned. Have a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. See it there? Or uh, verse 6. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. All right, verse 7. Since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. You notice this like world-changing, incredible, paradigm-shifting, what other superlatives can we use? This amazing idea here, grace. Grace. Now, it comes to us via uh, the Latin from the Greek word charis into our word charity. You know that? That's why we talk about charities. That's why we talk about the act of charity. It's grace. And gracities is, is, is a difficult thing to say in English. So we don't call um, international aid organizations gracities, but we could, right? It's the same word. They're organizations built around the Christian idea of grace, of undeserved gifts for the good of others. It's an incredible idea, an incredible idea, which uh, some of my atheist friends actually excel in better than I do, to be honest. Right? So it's not that only Christians can, can display this virtue of grace, but it is a distinctively Christian idea. It's one that has an echo in our culture, but an echo whose origins we have forgotten. You know this actually in Australia, of the 25 top charities by annual revenue, how many of them do you think have a Christian origin? 23. Depends how you count them, but we'll give you that. Right? Now, not many of them actually continue to have crosses on their logos or uh, statements on their websites. 
Uh, in fact, the Christian origin of charity in this country has largely been purged uh, from the record. In fact, there's even a movement to stop using the word charity. You know this? Right, so we, we, we no longer talk about charity. We talk about social justice. And I, look, I'm not against social justice. Let's just put that on the record. I'm pro-social justice. <laughs> but actually, social justice is too low a bar for the Christian. Because social justice says you actually need to intervene to correct an injustice that's happened. Which means you go find the people who uh, are suffering uh, because of someone else's sin, which is a very good thing to do. But do you know what? The Christian idea is that you should even help people who are suffering because of their own stupidity. And I tell you, there's plenty of them in the world. If social justice is our only aim, uh, then we are selling ourselves short of the true Christian idea of charity, which is you help people even who are morons and who have only themselves to blame. Because that's all of us, as the gospel teaches us. So um, the origin of this passage, the, the, the cultural background, is the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. This is sort of the first international aid um, operation really in history. I mean, we take for granted the idea that if there's an earthquake in, in uh, another part of the world, we should send money. An earthquake in Syria, we send money. Right? We, 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 we participate in international charity. But those things didn't exist yet. There was no Oxfam, there was no UN, there was nothing that could actually um, send money across the world until the church was invented. And so Paul is actually here inventing this idea. It's a brainwave. Hit him one day. Hang on. There's a terrible famine in Jerusalem, but the Macedonian churches in what's kind of modern-day Turkey, they're doing fine. So what if, hear me out, crazy idea, what if we took some of the money from the Macedonian churches and sent that via the Apostle Paul and his gang to Jerusalem so that the hungry people in Jerusalem would have their needs met by the rich Christians or comparatively well-off Christians in Macedonia. Brilliant idea. Paul kind of invents it. Again, something we take for granted. And the Macedonian church got way behind it, even though they were actually not that uh, rich themselves. We, we pick it up um, in, in verse 1 of chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Okay, so the Macedonians, they're not rich. They're actually in poverty. And yet, look what's happened. I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Frankly, even beyond their ability. This is some reckless giving going on here. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Can we please give some more? to the saints in Jerusalem. What are they, mad? No, they're Christians. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And Paul is moved by this. He doesn't mention how much money they gave, but he does mention the heart behind their giving, the generosity behind their giving, the grace of their giving. And frankly, Paul is proud of them. Uh, when I read this passage, um, I think of uh, Josh's Cafe. I've got a picture here. Thanks, James. Um, got a picture of my, my son, Josh, who has uh, learned at daycare about foster kids. And he was just captured by this idea and felt really sorry for kids who couldn't live with their parents. So he wanted to do something. Uh, he wanted to give some money. I said, well, there's an organisation called Anglicare, which has a program uh, for foster children. Um, but his problem is, because he's uh, five in that photo, um, he, this was last year, he, he uh, doesn't have any money. So 
he had an idea, right? So in, in, uh, t from times immemorial, um, kids have run like lemonade stands to raise money. Um, because Josh lives in Melbourne, his idea was he'd run a cafe. <laughs> and so he took um, orders, he, he led a Dropbox South Street, took orders for people to, to, make, to, to have coffee and muffins delivered on a Saturday morning. And then he made the coffees and then conscripted his mum and his sister to deliver them up and down the street. Now, there were some limitations to his enterprise. For instance, he raised a grand total of $10.50, which is probably not going to blow Anglicare's budget out of the water. Um, secondly, his latte art probably needs some work. <laughs> it was very drinkable, but not pretty. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel so proud of Josh for that. Not because of the amount of money, not because of the quality of the coffee, although you know, it is pretty cool that he can make a coffee. I feel so proud of him because of the generosity behind it, the grace behind it, that he was moved in compassion for people in need. And though he literally has no money to his name, was moved in generosity. And that's, that's a little bit of how Paul feels about the Macedonians. It's not the amount of money they're raising, it's the heart behind it. And the way the gospel has transformed them in their generosity. Now the Corinthian church, the, the recipients of the letter, they were originally on board as much as the Macedonians with this idea. But if you've been tracking um, the last couple of um, sermons I've given in chapel, we've been looking at the conflict going in the Corinthian church. Paul is worried, and not without reason, he's worried that maybe some of this weird vibes going on between him and the Corinthian church may have dulled their enthusiasm about this whole international aid project. And so he writes in this section, having dealt with church conflict, he's like, what else can we talk about? Something like money. Okay, let's talk about money. Uh, he moves on to that because he wants to make sure they're still going to give. He doesn't want the conflict between him and the Corinthians to stop their giving to the Jerusalem church. There are lots of um, ways that you could have encouraged or that you can encourage someone to, raise money, to, to give money out there. I'm interested to know in the way that Paul chooses to motivate the Corinthians to keep their pledge to Jerusalem. I mean... I've heard of churches locking the doors until the offertory goals are met. That's a good way of doing it. Um, I, I've, I've read uh, in church bulletins the list of everyone who has given their tithe with the number amount. <laughs> All right, you could try that. Um, I've even heard, I'm sure this is apocryphal, but like actually even lining up the pastor's kids at the front, like which one of these don't you want to eat this week? All right. Um, I don't think that's the right way to go. Yeah, maybe I, I said that sentence the wrong way around. And I assume that most of you would be on board. But okay, yeah. Just, just pause that for me. Yeah. Which one of these kids you don't want to have food to eat this week? That's not how Paul does it. He doesn't guilt. Though guilt can be effective in the short term. He instead uh, does this. So a couple of observations. Firstly, Paul doesn't want to lay on a guilt trip. He wants them to decide cheerfully. So um, first, um, uh, chapter 10, verse 7, each of you, um, sorry, chapter 9, verse 7, what am I doing? Yep. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, I really don't like charity muggers, and no offense if you've ever worked in, like, marketing teams, but, but most of them, there's some exceptions, but most of the people, you know the people who ask you to sign up 
and give money. Yeah. Most of them, to be honest, don't actually work for that charity. There's some exceptions. World Vision's ones all, all do. But most of them work for marketing companies that found out what charity they'd be working for that morning and have no personal investment in it. Uh, you need to continue to give to that charity for months later to make up for the fee that the marketing firm takes. Right? So it's a terrible way to do generosity. And also the tactics often, not all of them, I stress, I'm sorry if this is, you worked in this industry, but it's known in the industry as a problem that the tactics which marketing firms will use to get you to sign up are not always, let's say, speaking to the gospel motives of the heart in positive ways like Paul, right? Guilt trips work, short term. And what I want to say to us as church leaders, please don't be a charity mugger in our preaching about money, because Paul's not, right? He doesn't want them to give out of compulsion or guilt. He wants cheerful givers because God loves a cheerful giver. So not out of guilt or compulsion. But secondly, uh, Paul encourages them to give because it's actually good for us to give. In fact, the Macedonians in verse 4 urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Did you notice that? They're begging for the opportunity to join in generosity, in, in grace, in giving, in charity. And in the next chapter, chapter 9, Paul actually says it would be to your benefit if you give as well. You'll be enriched. Chapter 9, verse 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I could probably do a really great prosperity gospel teaching right on this verse. Is this what Paul's saying? Is he saying that actually if you give money to the Lord then you will, at an annualised rate of 10% per annum, receive a financial return, right? So if you, and I've heard this preached, right? Like if you give the tithe on Sunday, your business during the week will prosper. Now, is that the promise in Scripture? Not a rhetorical question. Is that the promise in Scripture? No. But there is a promise in Scripture that it's good for you to give, Right, that there are spiritual blessings. And look, sometimes, actually, I don't think it's out of the question that God does actually bless the businesses of people who give a lot of money. But normally, they're the type of people who are going to give that money away anyway. Right? So I don't think it's a get-rich-quick scheme. But I do think there are benefits here to being generous, to participate in something bigger than yourself. That's good for you, good for me. To see with joy the lives transformed by your money. That's good for you, isn't it? to take part in this international movement and to see the benefit of taking part in, the, in this in, in generosity. Do you know what I think is even more pressing for us in terms of the benefit of giving? It's to fight the idolatry, which is greed. It's actually a spiritual battle that giving, giving helps you, right? So we're in a culture where it's all about money. Right? It's, a, it's a culture that's all about um, money and consumption. We worship the God called economy. And everywhere you go, the message that you're hearing is to fear the future and so invest or to have security from your money or to spend in an ostentatious way to get status. Every time you scroll, every time you walk down the street, you are being preached to by the God of money, mammon. And yet generosity is like a slayer demon kind of thing. Right? Let me introduce you to the ancient spiritual practice of internet banking. Right? So every time you feel like the world's messages that you don't have enough, you deserve more, you don't have enough, you won't be all right if you, you show that demon who's boss. You log on to 
the internet banking site, you put in an, an outrageously large number, one that makes you flinch, not like $10. Something that might make you flinch, but an, an amount that makes you, you're going to feel that. And you hover over the, the OK button, and you decide to show that demon who's boss. You show money who's boss. I will not believe your lies. Oh, that hurts, but it feels good. All right? That's the ancient spiritual practice of internet banking because you show money who's in control. I don't need you to assure me I'll be okay tomorrow because I have God. I will trust that I have enough. Here's the other lie um, that the devil will tell you. The devil will tell you that if you give money away, it's lost. Right? If you, the devil will tell you that if you give money, money away, you don't get to enjoy it. It's just gone. It's like tax. Okay? It's like just a salary cut or something. That's not what giving is. It's, a, it's the most outrageous lie ever. Because once you hit that OK button, you still get to enjoy that money. In fact, in fact sometimes even more so. Wonderful metaphor the Bible uses is not um, giving as taxation or giving as loss, but giving as sowing. Okay? And this is a metaphor that kind of clicked for me. Um, I visited my, my brother's farm. This is my brother. Here's Tom. Um, thanks, James. Yeah, that's Tom. Our people, I, same parents, actually, both. <laughs> right? once a, a friend once came over, this is unreal. A friend once came over uh, when we were teenagers, one of, his, one of my friends, and Tom came into the kitchen and started making himself breakfast. And my friend, legit, who'd known me a few years, asked, so how do you two know each other? Um, <laughs> full brother. No, no, no lie. Um, anyway, he's a farmer. He farms garlic. Okay, so that's the most ginormous garlic you've ever seen, right? They're about a kilo a bulb. Right? Um, now, here's something I learned, right? So every year when he harvests his garlic, he puts them to dry out, and then he sells it. And you can get a pretty good price for garlic at the moment. So he puts it out, dries it out, keeps it ready to store. But you know, there's a percentage of the garlic every year that he doesn't sell and he doesn't eat. Do you know what he does with that? Next slide. He loses it. Wasted. He puts it back into the soil. What an idiot. What's he doing? It's lost. No, it's planted. So why do you set aside a proportion of, of your income, your garlic, and put it back in the soil? Well, so that next year there'll be a harvest. Okay, and that's the metaphor of sowing. When you give, you're not losing that money. You're investing it in something awesome. And so I think it's really important for us actually to, to, to think in where we're giving, actually what we're giving to. Just imagine that AF, AFES worker sitting down over coffee right, with an international student explaining for the first time who Jesus is. All right? Like that is awesome. To think that your money is enabling that. That's not lost, that is sown. Or think of the, um, the people um, working in another part of the world to bring fresh water, or training local doctors, or investing in theological education in Africa, wherever you want to give your money. Make sure you don't let the devil tell you that that money is lost. It is sown, it is invested. And how enjoyable it is to see your investments sown and see great things happen. Um, the third reason is because of fairness. Paul talks about fairness. Uh, verse 13, it's not that he wants to um, ease others, 
and burden them, but as a matter of fairness, he says. Right? Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As giving really is just about fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That's a, a cheeky Old Testament quotation there back to Exodus 16. When, you know, in the, in, the, in the wilderness, God provides the manna. And the point is, you're not meant to like stockpile some while others don't have any, right? Because it, the idea is that everyone just gets enough for that day. And Paul's vision here is that they would be enough for everybody, right? Famine in Jerusalem, enough in Macedonia, let's swap. And then maybe next season, things will go the other way. And I think this is a really telling uh, kind of vision of the gospel, that actually we have um, people in faraway cities looking after each other, looking out for each other, across ethnic divides as well. I think that's really beautiful. The gospel brings together um, Jew and Gentile, Macedonian and Jerusalem. And this is really a bit pointy, to be honest, for us, uh, because of where we live. Do you know, actually, uh, I think last year they worked out by median wealth, Australia is the richest country in the world. Now, you won't hear that from our politicians because they, they do tell us. I mean, we are, we are heading into difficult times. Right? The economy is in a... Di- I was about to swear, rubbish. Remember, this is recorded and this is chapel. That's an absolute lie. That is a ridiculous... I mean, do you hear yourself being preached to that we are in a time of lack? That is nonsense. We are literally living in the richest country in the world, and not just that, in the richest time in history. Okay, King Solomon, in all his splendor, would have been stunned speechless by the average local Woolworths, and not even the big one, maybe just the metro, (laughs) right? Absolutely speechless at the amount of food, the types of food, the things, and that you can just buy it. Now, I know we've had our issues with supply chain. Toilet paper, for instance, was in short supply in recent memory. But here's something to think about. King Solomon had never even seen toilet paper. (laughs) Just think about that, not too much. We are living in the most, now, the richest time in history, in the richest country, literally the richest country in the world. And yet you are being told, I'm being told that we are poor. And so we couldn't possibly afford to give money away. It's a wicked lie. Now, I don't mean to dis- diminish the fact that in a community like ours, there will be some people who are genuinely feeling economic distress. Absolutely, I totally get that, which is why we need to help each other. But those of us who have a job and who are able to put food on the table should be looking for opportunities to be generous in that. You know, the, um, the idol of greed takes different forms for different people. Uh, for some people, money is about status. For some people, money is about uh, pleasure. But it took me a while to realise that for me, money is about security, and that's no more godly. Right, so I could easily look at you, uh, you know, spending extravagantly and think I'm being superior because I'm saving. But actually, saving can be prodigal as well. So just think about where you're putting your money. For me, uh, it's actually about trusting there will be manna tomorrow just as there was manna today. And the fourth reason um, is because Jesus gave first. I love this verse. Graham Cole's favourite Bible verse. Do you know that? Fun fact. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Every time you give, you're actually taking part in an enactment of the gospel. Jesus had everything, absolutely everything. And yet for your sake, he gave that up. Not so that it would be lost, but so that by his poverty, you might become rich. He didn't have to give up his comfort and his wealth. He didn't have to give up his status, his power, his security. But he did out of love. And that's where the Christian idea of grace comes from. It's the batteries included of the Christian message of the gospel of generosity. So I encourage you to think about giving actually as worship, as participating in this story of generosity, using our financial resources in order to honour Christ and take part in the kingdom. Now, I do have um, some practical tips if, you, if you, I'm happy to share it sometime, but the main one is do a budget and share it with a friend. Now, this is a crazy thing, a very Christian, but slightly insane thing to do. Um, just as I was... Um, just actually recently, Steph and I realized that we hadn't been hitting our giving targets. And so we went back and did up a budget. And then we sat down with a trusted Christian couple and showed them our budget. Which culturally is like weird. But it was so good because they were able to suggest ways that we could be more sensible in our spending so that we had more money to give. Right? Have a budget, share it with friends. I'm cutting Steph's hair from now on. That's, um, I think, I'm pretty sure that's what we decided. I'll check, I'll, I'll check there. Because you won't, you, if you don't plan to be generous, you won't be able to be generous. So have a budget, sit down with a trusted Christian friend. And the final thing to say is do start now. I know many of us are at least part-time students or um, not working, um, some of us not working. And so you might feel like, like this just doesn't apply to, to me. But the thing I'll say from working with um, university students for a long time, if you don't start when you're a university student, you might as well just do it in your will because it won't, it won't magically start happening between then and when you die. So start with what you've got. <laughs>